Hello, and welcome to KaneCast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Welcome to the Kane Anderson Rudnick KaneCast podcast. I'm Steve Regali, and I'll be your host today. With me today is Craig Thrasher, co-portfolio manager on the Kane Anderson Rudnick Global Small Cap Portfolio. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Steve. So, Craig, I thought a good place to start today for our listeners is to learn a little bit about your background. So why don't you talk to us about what initially got you interested in investing and why do you like investing in small cap stocks in particular? Sure. Um, What interested me initially, I I actually feel pretty fortunate, um, was exposed to investing through a a class in undergrad actually um, had a really good professor. It was an investments class, and it was just one of those things. I think a lot of young people going through college, or you know, or even after college, still trying to figure out what what it is that they want to do for a career. And this was something that just immediately um, captivated me, uh, and it helped that I had a really good teacher. Um, There's a lot of interesting things about that I thought about investing that were I thought compatible with who I was personally. And um, so there's a lot that was interesting about it. I think the one one thing that I, that stood out to me, I think, about this particular professor that I had that that really, I, I think, got my attention was just the difference between, say, a good company and a good investment. Um, and, you know, he was a, a bit of a contrarian by nature. And I think that's something that's always been a, a comfortable position for me to be outside of the herd. And so kind of bringing that contrarian mindset to to an investing um, from an investing perspective was something that was interesting and you know being willing to do something different than the herd and in fact you know if you are going along with the herd and investing you're probably not gonna do very well so I don't know that was something I that, that was interesting to me early on and you know we had different books that we were um, that we read in the class of Peter Lynch books and, and that was just to you know start for me to just learn and I just started reading everything I could about investing and Eventually, um, you know, here I am. So how did you end up focusing on small cap stocks? Well, I think as an investor, you know, you're always trying to find, like I said, some some kind of part of the market that's not being fully appreciated. So, you know, looking in places where others aren't, certainly I think in the small cap space, international, outside of the U.S. is even less developed than small caps in the U.S. So, you know, I think we're, we're always as investors trying to uncover those those hidden gems and certainly have a better chance of doing that within within the small cap space compared to you know large cap companies like apple you know you got 50 sell side analysts covering it's a two trillion plus market cap company i mean you know how, how much value are you adding on the margin there so i think it's a little bit more exciting to find these companies earlier on what are typically the size of the companies that you're looking at well, I would say in general, we we like to find companies in that sub five billion market cap um, U.S. as an initial investment. But uh, the market cap range, the benchmark, I think you know bounces around. But say anything below ten billion, we feel like would be fair game. But like I said, I think our our, our ideal initial investment is a, is a sub five billion market cap company, and then hopefully um, that will grow over time. So can you tell us a little bit about what type of companies interest you and how do you find these companies? 
Yeah, so we're, we're looking for companies that have something unique about them. You know, I think in the small cap space in particular, you have a very wide range in terms of the quality of companies that you can find. Um, you know, there, there are some companies that are going to be around and thriving five, 10 years from now, but some of these companies might not be around five, 10 years from now. So we're trying to find a select group of what we think are, are very strong franchises around the world. We're, we're looking in the U.S., we're looking outside of the U.S., we're looking in developed markets, emerging markets, wherever we can find companies that we think have something special, something unique, you know, competitive advantage, moat is kind of the cliche that everybody talks about. But we're looking for, for businesses that have something unique about that, them that in a competitive world will allow them to thrive financially for, for many years into the future. So when you find a company that interests you, do you speak to the management team of these companies and what access do you have to the management team? Yeah, I think, you know, again, going back to the small cap versus large cap, this is a differentiator. Um, within the small cap space, we, we tend to speak to the CEOs of the companies, CS CEOs, CFOs, and, and a lot of times, particularly on the international side, um, we're speaking to the founders of the companies. So this is something that, again, you know, if you're you're talking to the IR person at, at Apple or Amazon, right. I'm not sure what the, you know, what, what kind of unique insights you're going to get about a business. But, you know, as an example, one of the companies that we bought in the in the global small cap portfolio last year is a company called FDM Group, uh, founded um, over 30 years ago by, by Rod Flavel. We've had many conversations. And you know, when you have conversations with somebody who's been, you know, the founder of a business and running the business for 30 years, I think the nature of those types of conversations are much different than what you get, like I said, with a, you know, your typical IR from a large cap company. So, Craig, how do you think about constructing your portfolio? Typically, how many names are in the portfolio? How does it get diversified by industry and by geography? So we, we own 40 to 50 companies at any given time. And our goal is really to just have our investments be driven by our, by our bottom-up analysis, wherever we're seeing the best opportunities around the world, wherever that is, in the U.S., outside of the U.S., developed emerging markets, we do have some constraints from a from a geographic diversification perspective. We want to have at least 35% of the portfolio either in the U.S. or ex-U.S. at any given time. Um, as I mentioned, we do have some emerging markets exposure, which is about 14% of the portfolio right now. It's it's ranged between say 10 and 20% over time. But like I said, our our biggest focus is really just to try to get our, our clients invested in the best companies around the world, wherever we can find those at attractive valuations. Do you find the same type of quality companies outside the U.S.? I do think that there are, you know, there's definitely no monopoly on, on great businesses here in the U.S. We, we feel like um, we found some, some truly exceptional businesses, both within the U.S. and outside of the U.S. I think the biggest difference right now that we're seeing is, is, companies in the U.S. tend to be more expensive. High-quality businesses across the spectrum we think are more expensive right now in the U.S. than they are outside of the U.S., but we don't think that we have to take a step down in terms of the quality of the businesses that we're investing in. And Todd, I think if you talk to Todd Bailey, who's my, my co-portfolio manager, you know, on, on some of the domestic strategies that, that he runs, I think some of the exposure that he's gotten to the international businesses that we've invested in and global have gotten him so interested that he's invested in some of those same companies um, and some of our domestic strategies where, where the ADRs are available. And, and given that you are 
considering non-U.S. companies, how do you factor in the macro environment and can macro environments create opportunities for you? Yeah, we, we like to think that we're adding some value um, and it's not from, from macro forecasting, certainly. We're, it's the opposite of that. Um, I think we, going back to that theme before of, of being maybe contrarian in nature, I think Todd and I share that, that personality trait. When everybody uh, is worried about the next 12 to 24 months, you know, going back to Brexit, I remember that was something that got a lot of attention and we saw some very attractive right. valuations there. Um, you know, we're seeing different headlines about where people are, are worried about, you know, things in Brazil right now. There's a lot of worry about a new administration there. What's the Im- impact going to be from, from that? Um, we've seen a lot of concerns about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, what's going to be the fallout for some of these companies in Eastern Europe? And, and we like to, you know, as long as we're appropriate, appropriately evaluating the risks and we feel like the company has long-term staying power and, and you know, is going to be a, a great business five, ten years from now, we like to take advantage of those opportunities when people are more worried about the next six or 12 months. And and we can, um, you know, hopefully get valuations that are that are more attractive. As you indicated, you co-manage this strategy with with Todd Bailey. Um, how do you two work together in determining which stocks to, to hold in the portfolio? Well, the way we we think about this portfolio is is it's a best ideas portfolio right. from across our our U.S. and, and non-U.S. strategies. And so basically Todd on a day-to-day basis is is more involved with our domestic U.S. strategies and and I'm more involved uh, on a day-to-day basis on the on the international strategy. So the two of us get together and we just go through all the names and we try to figure out again going back to what I said earlier where where are the best businesses around the world trading at the most attractive valuations and and, and let that drive our, our decision making on the investment side. But both of you have to agree to, to yeah, own of course. Any, okay. And so, can you discuss how your approach differs from, say, the broad global small cap benchmark, and how your approach differs from other investors that invest in this asset class? Yeah. So the benchmark is. Is very easy. I mean, just to start off with, you're talking about thousands and thousands of companies in the benchmark. Right. As I mentioned before, within the small cap space, there's a very wide range of quality. And I would say, on average, the quality is not great. Specifically, say, within the U.S., I think I saw a recent statistic that over 40% of the companies in the small cap benchmark are, are losing money or non-profitable. So, um, with this portfolio, you're getting a much more targeted approach, 40 to 50, what we think are great franchises that are generating strong profitability, strong balance sheets, excellent free cash flows. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a much more targeted approach investing in what we think are great businesses. And, and you know, that I think is a, is a clear differentiator from the benchmark. I know there's going to be a lot of our peers are going to say that they're they're doing some of the similar things, but we do think that our Emphasis on quality is a little more exacting than some of our peers. We do, we are, I would say, more concentrated than a lot of our peers, and we tend to have pretty low turnover. So those would be the the main differentiators. And then, I think specifically differentiator from peers that are even similar to us in style. I think our willingness to look different than the benchmark you know, to a large degree is something that we think um, gives us just one more way to add value. You know, if we're seeing better. Opportunities, like I said, in Brazil or Japan, wherever the case may be, um, we don't have 
one eye on the benchmark at all times and, and we're not willing to look significantly different. Um, so as an example, we have a what what looks may look like a large overweight, say, in communication services and, and people ask questions about that, but um, it's not something that really bothers us. We have we own a lot of different companies within that sector and we think they're all great businesses and we don't think um, you know, we have an undue concentration there. It's just that there's not a lot of those kinds of companies in the benchmark. And so that makes others sometimes feel nervous, whereas we kind of embrace that opportunity. So let's, let's drill down a, a bit further. Um, can you provide a couple examples of companies you currently own in the, in the portfolio? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the companies that that we added to the portfolio last year is a company called Baltic Classifieds. Um, it's a company, as the name would imply, is in the Baltics, although it is listed in London. This is a business, uh, kind of in, a little bit of jargon, online classifieds. Basically, these are businesses that have replaced the newspaper f- uh, for people to advertise for things like mm-hmm. real estate, um, automotive or jobs that obviously the newspapers have gone away and, and all of those businesses have migrated online and and the newspaper business was a phenomenal business for decades and decades and you know all of those things that made the newspaper business a great business exist uh, to an even greater degree with with these online classifieds businesses number one being the network effect you know people the reason people advertised in the newspaper was because they knew that's where the eyeballs were and the reason that people looked in the newspapers that's where they knew the ads were and and we have very concentrated markets in in, in many of these cases and and Baltic class classifieds has leading portals across all of those verticals automotive real estate uh, and jobs and and so it's a business for for that reason that has very strong pricing power which leads to great economics for the business profit margins are, are very high over 70 percent um, in the case of Baltic classifieds and, and we have a, a, a lot of history investing in these types of classifieds businesses we've owned on the international side we've owned a company called right move in the UK for for over 10 years so it's a business that we've gotten to know very well um, it's it, the businesses are in the much earlier stages of monetization in, in the Baltics, and so we think that there's a, a long uh, future for, for Baltic classifieds to continue to be very successful. And, and going to the opportunistic side, the reason we invested last year is, is a lot of people were aware of these um, strong business characteristics with Baltic classifieds, but, but being an Eastern European company, former Soviet satellites in the, in the Baltics, when the Russian invasion of Ukraine hit, um, the company, the, sh- the shares went down substantially. So that this is a stock that, despite having solid underlying performance in the business last year, the stock was down over 40%. And so um, that that kind of macro fear gave us opportunity to buy a phenomenal business at a, at a very attractive valuation. So I'd expect that you would think that this company has a strong network effect. Absolutely, yeah. How about another example? Another name that we added to the portfolio last year is a company called Fox Factory. Uh, Fox Factory is listed in the U.S., and this is a business that has a very strong brand in high-end suspension products for bikes and off-road vehicles. Uh, market share for Fox Factory on, on high-end mountain bikes is well over 50%, and this is a brand and market position that's been developed over decades that we think would be very difficult for competitors to try to compete against. So what would make you decide to sell one of your portfolio holdings and, and would an important macro headline event cause you to reassess one of your holdings? 
Well, the most important thing that we want to use as a reason to sell would be just either a deteriorating competitive position or fear that there may be a deterioration in the competitive position of the business over time. Um, you know, we, we obviously focus on investing in, in, in quality companies, and, and that's something that we view as the most important uh, investment criteria for us. And so when, when we see deterioration there, that's something that we want to use as an immediate, as immediate reason to sell. And, and on the macro, I would say, um, obviously, it's case by case. But in general, right. you know, we, if, as long as it's not going to be something that is going to completely torpedo the country or torpedo the, the company, um, we view macro fears, you know, as it relates to near-term economic risk or things like industry risk, we view, view those more as an opportunity than, than, than a reason to sell. Can you give an example of a company that you held, although the macro news wasn't great? Well, I think I talked about Rightmove earlier. Right. This is an online portal that we've owned for many years, and the Brexit vote in 2016 created a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people were worried about the impact on the, the real estate market in the UK overall, what was going to be the impact for, for right move and real estate agents. And there was just a lot of hand-wringing as it relates to that. And just people were selling first and asking, asking questions later as far as the UK market in general. And certainly, if we look back seven years from now, if you try to find the impact of Brexit on the results of a company like Rightmove, um, you know, you, you'd have to get out a microscope to see the difference between 2017 and 2016 and 2018. It's just a remarkably resilient, consistent business. So um, we think it's a mistake for investors to, to try to time the market and, and play musical chairs with great businesses like Rightmove. And so um, we just stay, stay the course. So, Craig, we appreciate your thoughts and comments today. How about we close this podcast with maybe some final comments from you on why investors should consider the global small cap asset class? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about this portfolio is it gives you in, in kind of a quote-unquote one-stop shop an opportunity to invest in uh, small cap companies around the world, like I said, within the U.S., outside of the U.S., developed emerging markets, what we believe are a select group of, of great businesses that have great long-term prospects. Um, we, we aim to be long-term shareholders in these great businesses and, and hopefully allow the results of these great businesses over time to deliver uh, returns for our shareholders over that period. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's been time-tested at Kane in terms of, of how we invest, and we think that, certain, that this portfolio has a place for, for people that are looking for that kind of solution. So, Craig, thank you for taking the time today to speak with us on your global small-cap portfolio. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in today to this podcast, and please keep an eye out for future KaneCast podcasts. For more information on the firm's global small-cap strategy, or any of the firm's portfolios, please go to Kane.com. You can also find the KaneCast podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You've just listened to KaneCast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. For more of our investing insights, head over to our website, www.kane.com. KaneCast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management, CAR. This material is provided as a matter of general information and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast or research. 
The opinions expressed herein are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the opinions of CAR or its affiliates, are current as of the date and time of the recording, and are subject to change at any time due to changes in market or economic conditions. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by CAR to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive. CAR does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. This communication should not be construed as an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. To the extent any performance is discussed, past performance is not indicative of future results.